0: To greet each one of you in Jesus' name this morning. It's been good to be here to be worshiping together. I appreciated the the uh, class that Brother Ryan had. I'm trying to get my appreciate the class that Brother Ryan had. Um, it's interesting seeing how did God just let Paul step by step. Through his life and reaching out, reaching other peoples. This morning, the message title is "Unreasonable Grace," uh, and it—I'll have to say right up front that I, there's no way I can do any sort of any sort of a a, a true presentation of God's unreasonable grace, except that I can give maybe a glimpse into it through Scripture, and you can look at it in your own life and see how God has worked in reasonable grace in your life. I've seen it in mine as I've looked at this. I'd like to look at uh, Ephesians 2 for an opening Scripture. Ephesians 2, reading verse 1 through 10. Let's stand to read this passage of Scripture And when we read this, think about yourself. Think about how Paul might be speaking to you, to me this morning. And you who, and you, hath he quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved and hath raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, in and that, in that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them, you may be seated. For by grace are ye saved through faith, verse eight. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship. We are God's workmanship. And I know this is may sound like a, a theme that I that I dwell on. Uh, Psalm one hundred talks about we are God's. He created us. We are His. But there's a there's another step here God created us but we are also a people of volition a people of choice even though God created every man on planet earth every man woman and child every man woman and child has a choice has a volition God has a divine purpose but man has a choice as to whether he's going to fit in that divine purpose We know of at least one couple. The Bible tells us of at least one couple that decided not to necessarily fit in that divine choice, not to be completely obedient. And that couple's name was Adam and Eve. And since then, many, many, well, all have sinned. And there was death as a result of man's rebellious will. But Ephesians says, and you who were made alive, and you He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Even though we were dead, God has made us alive. In our natural state, and due to our sin issue that we were born with, we inherited, it came to us honestly, as some people would say, you know, a chip off the old block. Uh, in the spiritual sense we were born dead. Due to man's rebellion, death entered the human race, a sting that was deadly and irreparable by all human attempts or design. This sting of death entered the human race. I like the way Gary brought in last Sunday morning how that this this disease has entered into the human race. It's called Ebola, and how that before that there was Another disease that entered the human race. And for that disease, there's no, the disease of sin, there is no cure outside of grace. Outside of grace, there is no cure, there is no hope, there is no future. For by grace ye have been saved through faith. But through grace, there is hope, there is future. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift, a gift, a free gift of God. God extends his hand of healing to us, unmerited by us, freely given by God, and with great cost to God, the great giver. So I'd like to look at a few. Actually, four different types of graces. We'll just be looking at two this morning that I've noticed in Scripture and you probably will think of more. But the two that I would like to look at this morning are the uh, the grace of salvation and the grace of forgiveness. Then later on, at some point, I'd like to share on the grace of victory and the grace of reward. Looking at salvation... Grace, unmerited favor, extended to us by God. And this is a story that we've heard time and time again, but we need to keep right on hearing it. It's a story that we need to be blessed with. It's a story that needs to be brought to our attention again and again so it keeps us in focus with who we are and what our mission is here on this earth. Salvation. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. I was struck by that verse in in, uh, Acts this morning that we're studying it. God told Paul, he said, don't be quiet. Keep right on preaching because I have much people in this city. And uh, it came to my mind that there's an elect in that city. Now, I know we have some question about the election. The elect, but uh, God also talked to Jonah and said, "In that city of Nineveh, I have much. I have people there that need to hear my word, because they're going to respond." Basically, is what He said to him. And this morning, God has an elect here among us, and I hope we're all His elect. I trust we all are. God so loved the world, so He's given that provision to all. We're all his elect, he's extended that that provision to all, but he knows those who will respond to him that's he's retained or or he's given that volition to mankind to respond, and he knows those who will respond and who will be his by their volition by their choice He gave God gave us his best, his only, his begotten. God gave us what we could not bring ourselves. You know, with all the good works we could ever we could ever do, we could never attain what was needed for God to for, for us to have salvation. All our best intentions would never open the door to heaven for us or open the door to God's unmerited favor to us. This came with his unmerited, or his unmerited favor came to us with the advent of his son, with the giving of his son. And in a sense, I think of it as God's way of saying, here's your opportunity. I'm giving my best to you. Here's your only hope. Here's your way out of the pit of hell. Here's your hope of heaven. Here is ultimately the best I have to offer you to escape the, the, the worst that the devil intends for you. Here's the best I have to offer to you. The advent of my son is the best I have to offer to you to escape the worst that the devil intends for you. You know, without Christ, we were all perishable goods. Now, you know what perishable goods are? Uh, all goods are probably perishable. You have... Fruits, you have vegetables that are very perishable. They have a short shelf life. Those need to be sold quickly. A a supermarket doesn't want to keep a perishable good like that on the shelf. Uh, they, They want to see that move or else they lose their profits. Well, we were all perishable goods without Christ. Some of us have maybe longer shelf lives than others, but our shelf life is only however long we were on this earth. Other and and even then, uh, our lives had no hope of being constructive, of of bringing uh, goodness. So we were perishable goods with a very short shelf life. You know, only all of us had were stamped with an expiration date. And truly, yet I believe all of our lives are stamped with an expiration date. We have our days are numbered. We have this much time on this earth, and then um, there's eternity, heaven or hell, with God eternally or with the torments of hell and Satan eternally. So we're all like like a, a vegetable after that sin curse entered the world like a rotted fruit that had lost its goodness. No one likes to eat a fruit, at least I don't. I like fresh fruit a lot, fresh vegetables a lot, a ripe tomato. But you know, after they've been cut up or after the ripe tomato, the the, the banana, the apple, whatever else you have, lettuce, you know, after... They've been cut up, maybe used on the table, and then the rest has been thrown in the slop bucket. I don't I don't care to get anywhere close to it. In fact that's one of my my uh, least desired things is to take out the slop. I just hate the smell of of slop. It just it's, it's awful and I don't see how the chickens can even stand it. But anyways, uh, that's you know, all our goodness, God said, was his filthy rags, or Paul says says it is his filthy rags to God like garbage. And in a sense, God, even in in seeing that, he defeated the devil's scheme. We were already there, rotted. And then God came along and gave his best, gave us of his best, his very best. God, playing by his own rules, which is to say sin cannot enter into His holy presence, gave us of Himself to make atonement. To make atonement for sin that, so that we could come into His presence. And that's unspeakable, unreasonable grace that God would do that for us. God took that rotted, stinky fruit, fruit that actually had been created perfectly And he gave that fruit an opportunity to new life. Ezekiel 36.26 says, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. I will take out that heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's what God is doing. That's what he did through the advent of his son, Jesus. He gave us the opportunity to be made a new person, a new fruit, one that is actually good and that has eternal shelf life no longer has an expiration date yes this earthly, earthly will pass but the heavenly comes in, that seed is put into our hearts and, and uh, develops it's actually just developing and waiting for the next phase for the eternal phase so different than the then the hopelessness of that expiration date when all is over, and, and more than that, there's eternal damnation. That's God's unreasonable grace to us. And then the second goes right with this, salvation. Maybe it's, it's so closely tied together it's almost hard to separate. But I think it does us well to look at it closely, and that is Forgiveness. Colossians 1.13 He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins. Now remember sin can't come into the holy presence of God. So it has to be atoned for. has to be forgiven. And It's through His Son that we can come into the presence of God in whom we have redemption. We're able to be brought back, redeemed. Being able to be presented unto God again. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. Let's not lose the significance of that. The power of darkness isn't a kind, isn't a beautiful thing. And to be in that power is hell itself. 1 John 1.8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, imagine how the devil must hate the forgiving nature of God. How much great the devil you know the forgiving to see the forgiving nature of God. Contrast that forgiving nature of God with the accusing nature of Satan. You know, just look at how he accused Job to God. He he you know, if we study those accusations that he brought to to God about Job. And I'd like to look at those two there at the beginning of Job. Accusation number one. If Job's blessings were taken, he would curse God. Maybe I'll just go ahead and read that scripture, Job 1, 6 through 10. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then the Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? but there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and is evil. You know, I'm seeing God and the angels having a, a nice little meeting here. Maybe they're looking at the good things that are going on, and they're, they're, they're seeing, you know, amongst maybe the other patriarchs and saints and their children and the good seed of, of God, they're seeing Job here as a, as a real maybe standard bearer of goodness. And uh, here comes along Satan. He says, I'm going to spoil their party. And Satan says to the Lord, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not put a hedge about him and about his house? And about all that he hath on every side, hast thou, thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. So that happened. God let Satan move ahead. And not only did the devil, you know, not only did he was he allowed to test Job by taking all he had in the sense of material goods, but also his sons and his daughters were taken. And Job says, you know the Lord has taken the Lord has given the Lord has takes has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord and it says in all that he did he sinned not neither accused God foolishly and I find that incredible you know all that taken away all his his children taken I can see the the goods being taken but the children you know all over an accusation of the devils. And then accusation number two if, if Job's health were taken, he would turn away from God. And uh, skin for skin, says Satan. Yea, all that a man hath he will give for his life. But for, put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. face. Take, you know, if we contrast that with the good nature of God, that accusing nature that the devil has, the forgiving nature of God, the accusing nature of, of Satan, um, I think we see something very significant about God. <clears throat> and take a, look, a peek at what the devil is doing to the brethren today. Revelations 12.10 says this, that I heard a voice loud voice, saying in heaven, now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. The accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. You know, I get the picture here that There's a being, there's a very evil being called the devil, called Satan, that is trying to wear God out by bringing to His attention all the faults, all the shortcomings, all the sins of His children. As I was musing on this, I, I had to think, you know, as an example, Satan coming to God and saying, God, have you seen this? Did you notice... His response. Have you seen Gerald's hypocrisy? How he gets up and preaches and claims to love you and all of that but really shows a lot of carnality. God, are you really going to go with that? You know, God, how about you let me put him to the test. Let me bump him up real good and see if he really stays true to you. I don't think his devotion is really that deep. I really believe he'll give up his profession if you you do a little bit of testing. You know, that sounds mean, doesn't it? And it is. You know, none of us wants to come under that sort of accusation. I know that Gerald has his shortcomings and his failures and his carnality. But I really don't want to be put to the test. I don't really want Satan coming before God and saying things like that. And Yet I believe that's what he's doing. It's me. Satan's the accuser of the brethren. And that's what the devil is all about, is being mean to the brethren. The brethren are the inheritance of Christ. Christ has died for them. They are his children, his crown, his glory, and his bride. And the devil, selfishly, as selfish as he is, is going to work against all of that. He doesn't care to see the crowning work of God Enjoy sweet fellowship of God for eternity. He doesn't care to see the bride of Christ enjoy sweet fellowship with Him for eternity. He despises to see mankind enjoy what He's been exiled from. To see mankind have hope for what He's been exiled from. He despises that, I believe. So the devil accuses the brethren of all kinds of things, real or imagined, I believe. In hopes that God will become sick of or break ties with his own. And God's not going to do that. But then I had to think how it must grieve the heart of God when the devil comes in triumphantly carrying a true accusation. He or she has done it, given up, have sinned. Ha, ah, look at that God. Now, how it must grieve. God, when that true accusation comes in, and I believe that's where that verse comes from in Hebrews, talking about you have, you have. Uh, I don't have it here. Maybe one of you can help me. You have crucified the Son of God anew, afresh. Um, I believe God's shepherd heart must ache when when that sort of accusation brought, not only in that. The devil has takes the opportunity to triumph, but more so, much more so, infinitely more so in that one of his sheep, one of his own, has gone astray. I believe that God, like a loving shepherd, hearing the cries of the willful lamb, gone astray, his heart aches, or the string sheep. And I have to ask myself the question, and you the question, how many times have I, have we, have you caused the heart of God to bleed and the devil to gloat because of our, my, your sins and rebellion? Again, I say this, Forgiveness must be an awful word for the devil and his minions. It must be a terrible word for him The worst that they can, they can hear. Forgiveness. But praise be to God because forgiveness is the sweetest words. The sweetest word the lips of man can utter, I believe. Forgiveness from Christ is the sweetest word the lips of man can utter, can experience. It's totally unreasonable. It's unmerited. It's just without precedent, without equal. For it, forgiveness issues from the gracious hand of God. And it, it's the cornerstone of our relationship with Him and His with us. Second Corinthians 9.15 says, Thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. Thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift, forgiveness. And how must great the devil when he hears that word extended, that act extended to the erring sheep. When we look at what God has done for us, his unreasonable grace to us must seem very unreasonable to the devil. That, that grace offered to us of, of salvation and Forgiveness then what is our appropriate response? And I believe we have to look at that closely. I believe judgment will be dealt to each of us according to our response to God's provision. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, we truly confess them, He is faithful and just to forgive us, forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us, clean us from all unrighteousness, if we do our part in humbly acknowledging our sins, if we do our part in crying out to our loving Shepherd for mercy, you know Christ is a gentleman. It's been mentioned this morning. He'll recognize our volition. He won't forcefully take us from dis- from destruction if it's if that's not our will. You know, much as much as it would go against His Shepherd heart to not reach down and and pull one of his sheep from error, from destruction, if that sheep turns against God, if that sheep refuses, if that sheep refuses help, refuses the the, um, rescue hand of the shepherd, God won't force himself, won't force his will, but when it's our will to seek his rescue, God, Christ forgives in spite of the accusation the devil is throwing away. You know, it's under the blood of Christ. I've forgiven him. And I like I said again, I, I believe that must grate the devil to see that unreasonable goodness, gracious provision, a forgiveness acted out by Christ on his children's behalf. You know how he must hate that Christ can and will give of Himself again and again and again to keep, to bring and keep His children in a good relationship with God. Can't you hear the conversation? The sneering, I'm um God, look at that. He or she has acted about as bad as you can get. And God with infinite love, yes, he or she has. I love Him, I died for Him, He's confessed his guilt, and I've forgiven him. It's under the blood. And how that must. how that must uh, great the heart if there is a heart in the accuser of the brethren. It's an unspeakable, unreasonable gift. This graciousness, or this grace from Christ. Well, God requires much of us. If He's given so much, isn't it right that He would require much? Luke 12, 48 says this, For unto whomsoever much is given of him, much shall be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. To whom is given much, of him much shall be required. You know, should that surprise us that God would require much of us? You know, we send our children to a private school or maybe some of us homeschool. You know, we pay for that schooling. We pay that tuition. We pay for their books. We expect a lot from that. We don't expect a mediocre response from our children going to, to school. We anticipate that they'll learn much in Christian values and in education that they'll need. We expect them to put their best into it. Give it all they have. Why? Maybe it's because we're expressing our values to them by sending them to a school where they'll learn about Christ. By paying, we express our values to them by paying a tuition instead of maybe spending that money elsewhere. Maybe buying making payments on a boat or a mortgage or anywhere else. Um, instead, we sacrifice, we, we spend that tuition money to, to send them to a school where we expect them to learn. Well, that's just a small example, a very uh, small example. Example of maybe what God expects of us. He's invested so much more into us than we'll ever invest into our children or anyone else. You know, many of us even have the advantage of our parents investing into us and sacrificing for us. And so we've been given much in many fronts. It's all from the hand of God, but we've been given so much in so many fronts. These investments into our lives are straight from... God sends and He expects much in return. Much shall be required. And I take that to mean when God gives much, He expects more like we expect more from our children than a mediocre response. He expects our full response. He expects us to really give all that we have back. And I don't think that means that we somehow go out on a... a, guilt trip of you know what could we be doing that we aren't doing and so on and so forth and try to raise the roof, uh, so as to speak. I think it more means that we approach life carefully and prayerfully. That we look at the issues that we're facing. That we look at the mundane things that we're facing. We ask ourselves, are we doing our best here? Are we doing what Christ would want? Are we approaching it in a way that is is pleasing to Christ. And maybe God will take us on to things that are much greater that He'll expect much from. Secondly, if you don't use it, you lose it. If you don't use it, you lose it. Um, Our response, if we don't use the gracious gifts God has extended to us, there's a good possibility of us losing it. We have the story of the servant in Matthew 25 where the servants were given different gifts, different size of gifts. One was given five talents, the other one two talents, the other one one. And that remember that one talenter, he uh, decided just to go ahead and hide his talent he he uh, decided that his master wasn't a good man, was a greedy man, and that you know it would be best just to kind of throw that talent, hide it, and just give that back to him when he came back. You know what the master's response was? He was upset. He said, "At least he could have put it with the with the bankers and got some interest out of it." And then he said, "This for unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance, but from him." that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath. And I believe this applies to many areas of our life. One, one example comes to my mind was, is language. Pennsylvania Dutch, for example. Now, I grew up knowing Pennsylvania Dutch well. At the age of six or seven, I could talk it better and I could talk English. And uh, today, um, I'm afraid I've lost it. I can still talk Pennsylvania Dutch with my folks, but uh, it's annoyingly sparse, annoyingly um, full of gaps, and you know that was, that's because I didn't use it, I went on, it was somewhat of a conscious choice on my part, or there was other language that I thought was more important, and, and I'm not really sorry for that today, I would, I'd be great, you know, if I'd still know that and be passing on to my children. But, you know, if history, as history goes, 100 years from now, someone may look back and say it was my generation that lost uh, the tradition of Pennsylvania Dutch in, in that long tradition of Dutch speaking people here in the U.S., German speaking people in the U.S. It was my generation. Um, you know, be that as it may. I don't, that's not a huge, I don't think that has any real spiritual significance. But I, t- I say that because, you know, if we don't use something, we lose it. If we don't value it, we lose it. Well, if we lose the gifts, if we take lightly the gifts of salvation, the grace that God's given us of salvation, the gift of, Forgiveness that God has given us. Now that is a serious thing. If we lose the importance of it. The truth be told, we really don't own salvation. We really don't own forgiveness. It's not ours to keep unless we exercise it. One one thing that... uh, I was impressed with is land ownership. I hadn't really thought about it until more recently. Um, how that land ownership, in a sense, is only ours as long as we exercise certain, certain uh, one especially um, important procedure, and that is is paying our taxes. Okay, so we can. We can have a farm. It could have been in the family for 180 years. Passed down from generation, the Scott's farm, passed down from generation to generation. I just pulled that name out of my head. But anyways, and today Junior Scott, you know, could have the farm yet. And uh, his past, he inherited it. And it could be called the Scott Farm. Could be paid for. But if he fails to send in his check for taxes, you know, for a certain amount of time. Well, Uncle Sam is going to send out a man with a badge, and he's going to be summoned to court, and if he fails to pay eventually the land will be sold to someone else who'll pay the taxes, pay that tax bill off. Well you get what I'm saying. You know, it's it's the ownership is is somewhat limited at best. Um and I, th- I think it's a little bit the same way with this provision of, of salvation, provision of, of um, forgiveness that God has given to us. If we don't exercise, if we don't use it, if we don't um, recognize the giver, there's a possibility of us not keeping it. And God has high expectations for the grace He's given us. Romans 6 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So God is saying, you know, if I've given you this grace of salvation, I expect you to exercise it. I expect your life to show something different. I expect you to live in the beauty of holiness that I give you grace to live in. And then regarding forgiveness, that's another place we get to exercise the gift of grace that God has given us. If, we, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So it goes on. God gives them to us, but he expects them to, us to exercise those graces and, and share them on. And that's how, that's how we grow. That's how we keep them. That's how they stay healthy in our lives. God's free grace is unreasonable. God's expectations for us are merciful. They're just. And they are a reasonable response. Let's live in God's grace. Let's be thankful for it. And let's uh, live carefully and prayerfully knowing that we've been bought with a price and that we should glorify God with our lives. God bless you.